So hi, church family. Welcome here. Isn't it great to have Advent season with us? And by the way, um, that, those are keys to a new Tesla. So you, you, wouldn't that be great? You expect to come to church and for all kinds of reasons, and then you walk home with a new Tesla. But I could tell you something even better. What if you walked home with a new expectation of relationship with Jesus? What if like when you walked home, you, you just came to church because maybe it's your pattern and all of a sudden, God's Spirit did something, like in you. So let me just, uh, confession. After first service, I felt like, oh, man, I just didn't do like I really wanted to do. I didn't feel like I communicated the word as powerfully or as strongly. And maybe I could have tweaked the interacts, Y, and Z. Sometimes I do that. I get over-analytical, and I walk away and feel like, I feel the weight of all, you know, we're all gathered together, and we're really expecting God to speak to us. And... Um, a guy came up to me right after the service. He goes, oh, man. He starts telling me about what God was doing through the text. And I was totally humbled. Like, right? It's the Holy Spirit that's going to do any good work this morning. Has nothing to do with me. But I do have some things to say because I hope, hopefully God's word has been speaking. So if you turn your Bible open to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25. I love this season for a lot of reasons. I love the food. I love family. I love, I have got a lot of memories. My, my parents were great at giving me all kinds of Christmas memories and church. I love being around with you guys. Mostly, I just love Jesus. Mostly, you know, there's so much other trappings in the season. And I have to tell you that my, my great passion for you in this moment, in these moments, this season, is that something fresh would happen in your relationship with God. Something fresh would happen in my heart with the Lord. And um, it would change my expectation for what this is about, for, for the days that I'm living in and what God has for me. And I'm really encouraged, actually, by the model of what happens in today's passage, especially in the life of a couple people who are really great models. They might not be a part of your creche, your your nativity scene that you have at home. Some of you have those at home, and like uh, Pastor Nate said, most of us don't have Herod in ours. Uh, he spoke about that last week, so you have to get that message. If you didn't get to it, it's really good. And these two characters don't show up, though they should. They're, they're a lot more deserving than Herod, because this passage, starting verse 25 of Luke 2, talks about two people who were really great at something I'm not good at, waiting. And in the middle of their wait, you're going to see something about their character that's I hopefully really compelling to you, how God spoke to them and then used them in the moment and then fulfilled his promise. And you're going to hopefully learn this great lesson that at the heart of Christmas is God's stunning plan to give himself away. And his calling is for us to do the same. This is God's plan for us, plan for the advent, like that he would give himself away and in such a manner that like blew people's expectations out of the water. They, they did not see that coming, right? And actually, that's his plan for you. His plan is for you to be able to come to a place where you see yourself giving yourself away. We celebrated yesterday Bobby's 50th 
birthday. Happy birthday, Bobby, one of our elders over here. And so now, if you want to know what it feels like to be really old, just have a conversation with, with Bobby. No. And, um, but I was just struck by, you know, we had, a, they had some family pictures. I was struck by how God has richly blessed your life, brother. And because, um, because of the ways that you give yourself away. And that's part the message, part the message here that we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 2. So the two people that we're looking at and how God touched them are Simeon and Anna. Don't know if you've heard a whole lot of their story. Perhaps you have. But you would expect that these two people would have lived kind of an insular life. They both lived lives that were around the temple in Jerusalem and spent most of their life there in that area. Anna spent almost her entire life there at the temple. And you would think that that their lives would become like really interior driven and they wouldn't be able to see kind of the big picture. And yet, remarkably enough, these are two people that caught it whenever people totally missed the message of Christmas. They missed what God was, was doing. Most of the crowd missed what God was doing. But here are these two people that really captured it. They, they captured the heart of God. And I think there's some reasons why. Because these two people, as you see their character described for you in the text, are people who would draw near to God. And I believe that those who draw near to God have the best understanding of his heart for the world. That those people who draw nearest to God, they, they get his eyes. They start seeing people differently and seeing his plan for the world. And our expectations change. You've got a set of expectations for Christmas, right? Some of you have got big things happening. Some of you, maybe a smaller gathering of family. And, or maybe um, Christmas is one of those seasons that you struggle with because of loss or pain, whatever. So we all have come into the season with a set of expectations. And Simeon and Anna's expectations were that God would finally like, fulfill his promise. And they had been waiting and waiting for a, a long season. But they captured his heart. They understood his heart in it. So let's look at the text, starting in verse 25, Luke chapter 2. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, look at his description, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I don't know how that happened. The text doesn't tell us how it had been revealed. We just know that he was in tune with God's spirit and God made it really clear to his heart, to his mind, that he was going to be able to see something that others hadn't. He was going to be able to actually see the Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms. I want to capture what happens in the scene. There's this guy. He's been waiting a long time for the promise of God. Have any of those in your life, you've been waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, and you're like, when? God, when are you actually going to fulfill this promise? I've been waiting for a long season in my life. And I don't know what your experience is, but my experience sometimes is, um, like, I get it in my mind, and I get it in Scripture, but in my heart, I'm wrestling with whether God's going to actually fulfill 
the promise. I know, I know he does, like in my mind. But I'm wrestling with, God, when? Or, God, are you really going to come through again this time? So in this moment, after waiting all this season, Mary and Joseph come in to the temple. They're going to do something, we'll explain a little bit later, um, that people who are observant Jews did after 40 days after the birth of their child. And they come in with this baby, and I don't know how, but as soon as they walk in, he's like, that's it. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. And he takes this baby in his arms, right? And it's just got to be like one of those goosebump moments in your life. He's just like, this is it. I'm like, I'm holding the Messiah. How is this possible? I'm holding the Messiah in my arms, the promise of a fulfillment of, of God. And so he blesses God. He just, he starts praising God in the moment, like as you can imagine. And how do you respond to that, you know, when this happens? And then he gets inspired. He actually pops up with this impromptu hymn. And part of the hymn is quoting the book of Isaiah, several pieces of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and 42 and 49. And he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Like, I, this is it. I'm good. Good to go. I can go be with you. I've, this is the fulfillment of my life's greatest aspirations, which is to see Jesus. That's his life's greatest aspiration. His greatest expectation is to see Jesus, and he's seen him. So he's like, I'm good. For my eyes have seen, and then he describes it, your salvation. That's the name of Jesus. The Lord saves. God saves, literally that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his, that is Jesus' father and mother, that's Mary or Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. They just stepped back. Like they just came to do this dedication thing. And all of a sudden, this really important figure who has got this great reputation as this godly man, starts making these statements about their child. And they just, I, I imagine they're just going to look at each other like, you know, they're, they're marveling in the moment at what's just been said. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. So, you know the message of Christmas? It's kind of got two sides to it. It's fascinating, right? There is this, what the shepherds experienced, great news. <laughs> and they're overwhelmingly taken back by the joy of the moment. That's part of the experience of Christmas. Hopefully this Advent... Jesus produces that in your heart as you're experiencing him. It's just really great. And there's another side to it, isn't there? You think about the life that Mary and Joseph must have lived with this. Think about Mary's experience when she's there at the cross and giving up her son. It's, it's overwhelmingly hard. And think about the stories that are told of Jesus when he gets with people and he reveals what's really in their heart, how challenging it is. And so Simeon speaks out this challenging word. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That was the intent of God to come and bring his son and open up people's hearts. And that's hard because it exposes our sin, our rebellion, all the mess that's there. And we all have secrets, but none of those secrets stand before the living God. They're all exposed. It's part of the beauty of Jesus, but it's hard, right? He's giving him a warning. Raising this kid is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Typically, you know, girls got married then, young in their teens. So she was married for seven years and sometime in her 20s. She lost her husband. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she'd been a single woman for all those years, and she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. So Simeon sees the little one, holds the little one, Anna shows up in the temple And she sees it, and immediately she knows what God has done. He's fulfilled his promise, just like Simeon had known. And she starts thanking God. She's she's overwhelmed with what's just happened. And she's in praise of God. And to speak of him, she starts telling people about Jesus right then in the moment. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, step back for a moment. Take a look at the, how these people are described briefly, just to challenge us in being people that are called to wait and what God calls us into in terms of our character. So Simeon is described as righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he was patient. He patiently waiting on the promises of God, and he was full of the Spirit, that first descriptor word, righteous, means he was just. He was actually a guy that lived out his faith. That's what he was known for. So he wasn't known for just like living in the temple and thinking a bunch of holy thoughts and being religious looking. He was looked at as a man who applied his faith, who knew God's word, and he applied it. He lived to apply his faith. Wouldn't that be a great descriptor of, this, of us this week? One of the reasons why Pastor Nate mentioned it, why we're doing this thing tomorrow here where we'll have hundreds of families come and they'll be connecting with gifts. But we're going to be telling the story of Jesus in conversation with people as they come. One of the reasons why we do that is because we want to be righteous. We want to live out justice, live out our faith in front of people. So that's part of the reason of why we do what we do around here. We want to express righteousness. It's not just an internal thing. It's an external thing. And then the scripture says he was devout. That is, people knew Simeon because his relationship with God was solid. It was authentic. And he was a man who was passionate about his relationship with God, about the vertical thing, being right. Wouldn't that be great to be known as someone who was devout, who was consistent and passionate and authentic about a relationship with God. That's what devout describes. 
And he was patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase is a description of he was waiting for the Messiah. Like he had seen all the junk in his culture and he's just waiting for the Messiah to come. He was waiting for God to express after all these years his promise. You know, God often uses the tool of waiting to strengthen our faith to draw us close to him in dependence and to help us discover that his purposes and his timing are always best. You know that, right? But it's still hard, isn't it? Who likes to wait? Especially in this culture, we want things now. We don't want to wait for our phones. We don't want to wait for our kids. We don't want to wait for anything. We want it now. But that's not how God best works on us and in us. That's not what God's plan was for Anna and Simeon. And it's typically not his best for you or for me because he's in the process of developing faith in us and character in us. I'm on my lawn the other week and I noticed we got some little mushrooms that popped up, little fungus popped up right in the lawn. They grow fast and and they're not very stable, right? You can just pick them right off because they don't have roots. And I was thinking about the comparison between that and like the oak trees around this area, like on the hills. Many of those oaks have been there before you were around, before your parents were around. Some of them have been there for over 100 years, right? Long time they've been there. What God wants to do is to make us more into people like who are oaks in our faith. Deep roots, solid people. That's what he's after, and that takes time. Doesn't happen overnight, does it? Just like the tree develops, I'm reminded of the imagery in Psalm, Psalm 1 that talks about a tree next to springs of living water, and that tree bears fruit in season. But it takes time for us to develop like that. So that's what God was doing in the life of Anna and Simeon. Even though waiting can be really hard at times, and we're impatient people, but anything worth having is worth waiting on God for, isn't it? Anything worth having is worth waiting on God for. And that's what Anna and Simeon discover in this moment. So Simeon had waited, and then he discovers how cool it is after a lifetime of waiting to be able to hold Jesus. And then Simeon's described as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you who are... Um, who are people who are believers in Christ, we take the, the promises of God about the Holy Spirit and Him living in us with, um, yeah, with a, a sense of entitlement. But that's not what happened in the Old Testament people. They didn't have the guarantee that God's Spirit would be with them all the time. They just didn't live with that. But this guy was known for it as being like sensitive to God and, it, and his Spirit was filled, filled Simeon. That's why David, like in Psalm 51, he says, oh God, I know I'm such a wreck and I've sinned and I'm confessing before you. And the one thing I'm pleading for you, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And we don't have to pray that as believers in Christ Jesus. Because after Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, we were guaranteed the Holy Spirit as believers in Jesus that he would be present with us always. Well, we have the Holy Spirit in us. 
We can do stupid things that quench the Spirit. Don't do that. But we have the Holy Spirit. But people in Simeon's day, they didn't have that as a guarantee. But he was marked as a guy who was in tune and filled with the Spirit of God. In part because he was a man who had drawn close to God. And as evidence of that, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah. He was called out to be a witness, I think. So, in Deuteronomy 19, we're told that God does something when he wants to establish someone in court. Like, if you were a lawyer, perhaps, you'd go to court and you couldn't have a judgment in your case if you just had one witness. The Old Testament tells you they have to have two or three witnesses. And the story that's told in Matthew and in Luke are a series of witnesses to the advent, to the, to the coming of Jesus, so everyone would know. So think about the people that are involved, the wide spectrum of people, the shepherds. Who would expect the shepherds be included? But they're included as witnesses. And these highly respected people, Anna and Simeon, they are called as well to be witnesses of it. And we're told at the end that Anna gets it, right? So she starts telling people because that's her role to be a witness. And when Simeon sees the baby and understands this, he breaks out in this hymn, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I can, I can cash it in now because this is the highlight of my life. I've, I've got it now, you in my hands. And then he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This has not been about me. That's what he's saying. God, you had this greater plan in mind. Now, most of Israel didn't catch this. Most of Israel was looking forward to the Messiah to come, so he would, like, he would free them of Rome's oppressive rule. And they would then be able to like give it back to Rome. That's what was in their hearts. But there were a few people in the land who were different. They were actually called the quiet in the land. That was the phrase that described these people that were looking forward to a different kind of Messiah. Not one that would come with power and might physically with armies and banners or whatever, but someone who would come in a different way because they'd been reading scripture and they saw that the promises in Isaiah were about the whole world. It wasn't just about themselves. Sometimes when we think about the promises of God, it's just all about us. <laughs> right? It's kind of like what Christmas does to us. We get greedy. We think Christmas is about us, the gifts we're giving or the, the, gifts, the gifts that we're getting. But this, is about, this message is about something far greater, far better. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. It's both and, he's thinking. A Simeon understood the message told. And he was one of those who understood that God had a greater plan in mind. And I believe that he starts to understand that God is going to weave out something very different beyond his expectations in this Messiah here. Anna, she's also highly distinguished in the text. She was a prophetess, we're told. And a prophetess's job was to make God's word and his promises clear to people so they would understand it. A lot of people, they, they didn't understand what God was doing, and so that was part of her job. That's why she was in the temple, because she would explain, have those conversations with people. 
and she would be spending time with the Lord so she understood what his heart was like and how she could describe that to people. And she's also known as a woman who's great at worship. Wouldn't that be great to be known by that? Because we're all made to focus our lives on the worship of the living God. So she's got this great reputation that she's a woman who worships. You know what those people are like? Like, I don't know, sometimes do you come to church and you want to just sit by somebody because you know they're going to like totally get into it. They're going to be here to worship. And you want to like get next to those people because you feel like maybe a little of their spiritual life will rub off on you or whatever. But Sometimes I, I just like, I know some of the people that are really contagious in how they worship, and I want to be by them. And that's exactly what Anna was like. She was a woman who people knew. Like they, this woman was rock solid in the way she worshiped. And, and part of their expression was she would fast. Now, it wasn't just like a spiritual duty that she was doing to look impressive. She was trying to cast her heart's dependence on the Lord to say, Lord, you've you fulfill every need I've got. So she fasted before the Lord, and she prayed. What a great reputation to have. That was, that was the expression of her worship, that she was a woman who her interior life was really strong, and people understood that. So here's what happens. Simeon and Anna had been marked out as people who were really devoted to the Lord and they understood what God was doing. And Mary and Joseph come. It's 40 days after the birth. And as part of the custom of the law, if you were a devout person, devout couple, you would come to the temple and you would sacrifice. You would offer a lamb and sacrifice. Or you would, if you didn't have money, you would get a couple pigeons and that's what Mary and Joseph did. They didn't have financial resources, so they, they got a couple pigeons, and they were going to give this sacrifice. Here's what the sacrifice was about. It was about the purity of the couple, specifically the wife, after she's gone through childbirth, and it was about celebrating the life of this little one. So observant couples would come, and they would take part in this part of the ceremony. And then if it was a firstborn son, they would also dedicate that son to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph come to the temple with this in mind. They, wanted, they understood that this was a unique birth. Like they'd already been through the experience with the shepherds and the angels and all that. They're coming to the temple and they're going to make this sacrifice. And Mary is thinking first and foremost, I need to be right with the Lord to raise this kid. Anybody else in that room, in this room, feel like that when you had children? You're like, wow, I can't do this. I, I need God's help. That's what we do actually with our dedication services. When we have families come up here and dedicate their children, we're asking them like, to come before the Lord and, and just give it back to the Lord. And we're asking them to dedicate themselves. It's not just about doing something for the child. It's about for themselves, like casting their dependence on the Lord. We need this. We need you. And so that's what Mary and Joseph were doing at the temple. They're like, God, we need you. We can't do this ourselves. And and we need to be right before you to do this. And they were also dedicating this little one before the Lord. They were giving him back to God and for God's purposes. Little did they know, right, the whole story before them. 
what was going to happen. But in this moment, that's why Mary and Joseph came to the temple like this. And they brought him for this dedication, and they discover something powerful, like that God had a different thing marked out for them. Simeon comes and has this conversation with them. And Mary had already sung this song recorded in Luke chapter 1 about God being her Savior. It's a fabulous song. And Zechariah had sung about the horn of salvation and being saved for our enemies. But Simeon now declares something else, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He starts thinking about the Isaiah passages, and he's, he starts quoting them in this hymn, that this little one, is for all the world, not just for Israel, but for everyone, for the salvation of the world. And then after he makes this declaration, Simeon turns to Mary and he tells her this is going to be hard. This is going to be really difficult. Appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. What would you think about that if all of a sudden you brought your child for a dedication and I got up and I said, and by the way, this is going to rock your world. It's going to be so difficult. It's going to be hard and you're going to feel like pierced because of this child. God bless you. <laughs> like, all right, that would be, be difficult. So that's what happens and yet we know that this is the plan of God, and they, they hear it, they process that this is going to be filled with conflict. And as you look through the Gospels, this is what happens. Jesus comes, and he exposes people. Like all their mess is laid out before him, and they can't hide from him. And some people hate that, and so they come into conflict with Jesus. And some people left exposed, they're like, yeah, that's really me, and I need you. And those are the people that are transformed. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps that describes you right now. You came this morning not expecting this, but here it is. God's great at exposing you, and it's all good. Because he gets at that mess, the rebellion, the sin in your life, and he wants to heal it and forgive it and clean it. He wants you to walk out of here with confidence that you are right with him. And you can only do that as you get honest with God if you have a conversation with him and you embrace the Messiah that he sent. So, they hear the word that's given to them. Luke, in in his gospel here, in Luke chapter 2, he starts telling the story and he says, this is the salvation of the world. It's not just for Israel. He's going to have this relationship with all people. And then he closes his book, actually. Luke closes his book with a phrase, thus it's written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and the repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in the name to all nations. And so we see in this text that Anna gets after that. But Luke tells the story. He opens it with a story that it's about all people and he closes his gospel with the same way, that God is drawing people to trust in him. Do you remember a Christmas in your past where you waited for something with great expectation? Might have been a a family member coming to spend time with you, or perhaps maybe it was a gift. I can think of all kinds of um, moments where I look forward to presents with a lot of expectation. And I have a list of those. My parents were really generous with us. And 
And I remember um, one Christmas really looking forward to a bicycle. I wanted my, my bike, a Stingray. I wanted a bike. And I actually, I think I circled it in the Sears catalog. Sears, by the way, is a company that used to exist. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And uh, they had catalogs, and I circled that bike. I wanted that bike. I couldn't, I couldn't win it. I wanted with a metallic one. You know, I, I just, it's an expectation. And um, I got up Christmas morning, and I didn't see it underneath the tree. Started opening presents, and my sister got more than I did. And her presents were better than mine. And not that anybody would count, right? My parents had held this back, right, for, for me. And I got this bike. It was the greatest thing in the world. And I put this banana seat, and I'm totally dating myself now, and a sissy bar on it, like so I'd be macho. And only people that are over 50 know what I'm talking about here. I totally get it. And only people from the American culture get what I'm talking about. That's okay. But I had this really sweet bike. And in the moment, it met my expectations. I don't have that bike anymore. Like that, that bike is gone a long time. I got a lot of miles out of it. It was really cool in the moment. It was a great gift. I loved it. But I don't have that bike anymore. I want to ask you, what is it that you expect the most, that you're looking forward to with the most anticipation right now? This Christmas season. Now, perhaps there's going to be a great party going on, and I, that would be great. Or family coming that you really look forward to spending time with. Again, great blessing from God. Or maybe it's just the food or whatever it could be. You've got a list of expectations right now. But can I ask you, what would be greater, a greater expectation than a relationship with God that was better than it ever had been? What would be better than that? What do we really expect and wait for with expectation and anticipation. What should we be waiting for? The Christmas hymns, the best ones, have some kind of line that hint at the expectation. Right? Come thou long expected Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Right? Those hymn writers are helping us understand that there is this piece of the Christmas story It's woven into it. It's about expectation. Now, where we sit as believers, we're we're past, a couple thousand years past the first advent, the coming of Jesus, right? So we we get all the blessing of that, knowing what God's plan was. He came to save, to rescue us. And because of what he did, because of his life and his death and his resurrection, that I can trust in that. But listen, is your greatest expectation finishing school? or a promotion at work, or relationship ahead of you? Or is your greatest expectation something that's going to last for eternity? Like an awakening in your heart with the Lord God Almighty who lives and whom your neighbors need to know about. What's your greatest expectation? What could be better? And also, let me just throw this in. The Bible tells us as followers in this century, that we ought to wait. We ought to be people just like Anna and Simeon, like on the edge of our seat in expectation for the second coming of Jesus. That we ought to be like Anna and Simeon, people who wait in expectation knowing that every one of God's promises comes true and he's got something beyond our greatest expectation in mind for us the second coming of our Lord and Savior that could happen before you make it home today, which would be great, by the way. 
Or maybe he's going to make you wait because he's still at work in us. Let's be people of great expectation knowing that God always exceeds our hopes. And let's make sure we're people that communicate the great message to the world because that's God's intent for us. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the great model of this, these two people in front of us here in the text in Luke. And I pray you'd waken in us this season great expectation in you. Thank you for coming. That's a great gift and an unbelievable gift to us. And thank you for the gift of your son. And we look forward to what you have next for us. Help us not to wait in expectation for this stuff, but for the things that last for eternity. And to give ourselves away for Jesus. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.